0: As I was praying about um, this week, we're finishing up the chapter from last week, and as I was praying about the title, God gave me something that I think is something that is very, very um, timely and needed for this house. So if you're taking notes tonight, tonight's title is week 17, Leave a Legacy. Leave a Legacy. (laughs) Well, we saw last week that after King David had been restored back to his position over King of Israel they went through three years of famine. And after seeking God as to why they were going through famine, um, they found that it was because of broken covenant through King Saul, the previous king. And David had to go take care of the covenant, the promise that was broken. And when he took care of it, the famine was over. So he's been through a lot. He's been fighting giants and And fighting his own kids and marrying seven and eight women, that's never a good idea. Um, He's been through a lot, and he's getting toward the end of his life, and reality is starting to set in. And after years of being a great shepherd, a great warrior, and a phenomenal king, a great worshiper, David is old. And I think that's one thing we forget about characters in the Bible is that they're real people and they got real problems. And when you get old, you know, you you get tired. Um, You you, you get to a place where it's harder to to do what you did when you were in your 20s, like me. Um, I'm not 20. Um, You get tired. And David is tired. And in his old age, growing tired after years of work and a long life, War breaks out again. I don't know about you, but I get tired of having to go through war and battles over and over and over. Well, King David is old in his age, and a war breaks out again against the Philistines. And if you remember, that's where Goliath is from. He is a Philistine giant. And we're going to read verses starting in verse 15 of 2 Samuel 21 because that's where he left off last week. It says, once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Why? He old. Verse 16, well, Ishbi ben was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. And he conquered David and was about to kill him. Look at this. David. The man that everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. And everyone knows that David is a giant slayer, but here he is in his old age at the end of his, his life about to be. He is now endangered of being killed by the thing that he became famous for, defeating It was a giant, a descendant of Goliath who had David cornered. And it says David grew tired and he was weak and he was about, the giant was about to kill him. And I don't know about you, but I get tired of fighting the same thing over and over again. We can talk about battles and battles are going to come. We know that. But sometimes I'm like, you know, could there be a new one? Like it's it's like we're fighting the same thing over and over and over and being transparent. I don't know about you because you're all probably super Christians, but but sometimes when I'm getting into a battle that I have conquered over and over and over, even though it keeps coming, sometimes I just wanna be like, all right, just get it over with and do your do your thing and conquer me. I'm I'm done fighting. Has anyone ever been there? I I, I mean, I'm there sometimes. You're in this battle that you don't win, and you're like, oh, my gosh, would you just get it through with, right? Because everyone grows tired. And there's a scripture about growing tired in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 29. It says this, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Anybody got a heavy burden? Come to me all you who are tired and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. We get that scripture mixed up a lot because when we preach it, we try to get amens and we say things like God will take your burdens away. But it doesn't say that. It says, if you have heavy burdens, come to me. And I will teach you, I will give you a new way, and if you would follow me in this new way, those heavy burdens won't be heavy anymore, I will give you rest. And one thing about rest, and we actually touched on it in Recovery Center today, which is cool because I didn't know that they were going to teach on this. Rest in the Bible, in this passage, and even in the beginning of the seventh day of rest when God rested, rest doesn't necessarily mean you kick your shoes back and chill. Rest is a state of being where you are completely confident in the power that God has in the works he's doing, and you're not stressed, you don't have anxiety, you don't go into places being moved, you are simply confident in your salvation and the power of God. I mean, think about it. In, in Genesis, it says God worked one through six and rested on seven. Does it ever talk about working again one through six? No. He rested. What did he rest in? He rested in what he had done. He was, he, he was at peace with all he had done. He was in rest, and he says, if you come to me and follow my way, I will give you a rest amidst the heavy burden that you carry. Take my yoke listen to my teaching and I will show you a new way and that heavy burden will not be so burdensome anymore you start to live life my way and those burdens you carry won't seem so heavy and David is in a moment where the burden is just too heavy to carry because this giant slayer can't fight anymore he's tired He's weary. He's at a place in his life where he says, I just cannot do this. And Israel, the people he's leading, is faced with a challenge. What are they going to do when they see weakness in their great leader? And oftentimes we get there in life. We're faced with a challenge when we see a pastor who's a little little weak in the area. Or we see it at work with a boss who is weak in leadership skill. Or maybe we see it at home with a husband or a wife who's a little bit weak in being a good husband or a good wife or a good mama and a good daddy. What are you going to do when you see weakness in someone? Because what we love to do when we see weakness in any form of leadership, whether it be at church or the workplace, is the first thing we do is we criticize And we complain about the conditions that we have submitted ourselves to. And we start praying, God, get me out. Instead of realizing that maybe you're at a place where you're tired and there's another way than just getting out. We always look to, we got to get out. But God says, let me show you a new way. In Philippians 2, 3 through 7, it says this. It says, be free from pride-filled opinions. Be free from pride-filled opinions. Be free from pride-filled opinions. For they will only harm your cherished unity. That's the goal, unity. Don't allow your self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first. And view others as more important than yourselves. The key to unity is viewing others more important than yourselves no matter what position you carry and how much knowledge you got. Abandon every display, every every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. It says anything that's prideful and selfish will harm the cherished unity that God bought and God made in his body, a unified body of Christ, a unified body of believers. And he says, let what he did become your motivation, and then it qualifies it he says what he did was even though he was God and could do everything and anything he wanted in any moment, he did not seize the opportunity by getting up on a platform and saying, look at me, I'm God. What he did was he showed himself as God by doing this. And he washed the feet of the very people who would put him on a cross. He left every ounce of pride out of him and he said, I'm going to be a servant to you. He kept the man that was going to betray him and turn him over to thieves closest to him for three years and had dinner with him. Yet for some reason, when someone crosses us or offends us, we don't want to have any sort of relationship. We don't want to have any sort of unity. We don't want to have anything with them. We throw them away and we say, well, God doesn't like that. And I believe God is saying, no, you need to serve the very thing that you feel like you should separate from. Because what kind of legacy are you going to leave people? Are you going to show yourself as someone who's prideful that says I'm too good for them? Or are you going to leave a legacy saying I served everybody? I served my wife. I served my husband. I served my kids. I served my friends. I served my pastor. I served my enemies. I served my boss who I don't like. What kind of legacy are you going to leave? So Israel is at this place. Can you imagine an army and they see the king, the strongest dude they've ever seen. Who can, He's won every battle he's ever come against. He's been kicked out of the kingdom. He got back the kingdom. He's been the most prized possession. They see him vulnerable and weak and they're like, what are we going to do? So look what happens in verse 16. Ishbi ben was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spear had weighed more than seven pounds. He was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. And then David's men declared, You are not going out to battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? When David's, When David was weak, his strength was failing, God sent protection through the strength of others. It wasn't David that was going to slay the giant this time. It was Abishai. Abishai and Cain and killed the very thing that David killed before. And then all the men stood up and said, we've got this. And you will go through times when God allows you to be in a vulnerable place that you're too weak to handle, that you're going to have to make sure that you've got relationships invested to where when you are weak, God's strength is displayed by serving others to a degree that when you're down, people are going to come and they're going to bind with you. And you cannot get that when you are full of pride and not serving and not loving because you're going to be left stranded. And speaking of strands, look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9. It says two people are better off than one. So for everyone saying, Kyle, it's better that you're single, I rebuke you. (laughs) That was Paul's anointing, not mine. (laughs) Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. They can help each other succeed. They are fully invested. In other words, if I'm with Ryan, I am fully invested in making sure that he gets success and he's fully invested in making sure that I'm successful and because I'm all about him and he's all about me, we both rise to the top. Top not meaning we are above, top meaning into our destiny that God has set before us. It says two are better than one. They help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other reaches out and helps. Not just by praying, but actually helping. Pray and do. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. It's interesting how it talks about the power of two and three, and then later on we find out when two or more gather, he is here. And I wonder if many of us are in weak places because the presence of God is limited to the fact that two or more are not gathering as a unified body. Because we gather as a church, and we worship, and we, and we do our thing here, but are we truly gathered? Gathering is not a bunch of people in a room. Gathering is I know your stuff, you know my stuff, I know his stuff, I know her stuff, and we are gathering together, bonded in unity, and we're all about seeing each other rise above. And this is the, this is the legacy that David has built. Because he wasn't the type of king that made people resent him. He wasn't the type of king that people questioned him. I mean, they questioned him at times, but when it came down to it, they saw he was a worshiping king, and when he came down and when the giant was attacking, they were like, we are not letting any giant take you down. We're not going to abandon you. We're coming beside you, and they came beside him to such a degree that the army said, we got this. And I wonder when the church is going to get to a place where they come up to their pastors and they're no longer saying "Feed me, feed me, feed me." When are we going to get to a place where the church says, "Hey, pastor, we got this. We we, we don't need you to go fight that giant. We got this. We, we don't need you. We. What kind of legacy are we building?" Because the church for so long has built this legacy of come here a great speaker or a great pastor and come depend on one man who's who, going to invest in you and pray for you when you're sick, and, and which is all good things. But, but, but why have we said we're going to depend on one instead of building a family where the legacy is we can do what he did without him because he is going to be weak at times. And if we're together in this, nothing can take us down. And look at verse 17 again. It says, But Abishai, son of Zariah came to David's rescue, killed the Philistine. Then the men declared, You're not going out of battle with us again. We got this. Look at this. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? They referred to him as the light. They referred to him as the lamp that was leading them. They said, Why are we going to let the very thing that's leading us be taken down? When you're weak, we're not going to throw you away because you're weak. Because what, what we love about you, David, and what we revere about you, David, is not the fact that you're a, 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 a just a great warrior because right now you can't fight. What we revere about you is the legacy of light that you carry that leads us. Jesus refers to himself. He says, I am the light of the world in John and in the legacy that jesus left in matthew he goes from saying i am the light to saying when i'm gone you are because jesus wasn't about a legacy saying look at me look at me look at me he's saying i'm going so that people can look to you and see me cuz it it was it was about leaving a legacy when you sow a seed it produces fruit God says let me sow the seed of my one and only son to get the fruit of many sons and daughters because even Jesus knew two are better than one and three are even better So let me go so that you can be unified and I'm the light of the world and people are going to see light in you and they're going to follow you. And when we pursue Jesus, people will come to follow and support because they are being led by light and not your personality traits. And too many people are leading with their personality traits and and their character traits and their talents. And God says, I'm not looking for you to leave a legacy of people applauding your talent. I'm looking to you to leave a legacy that people can do what you do even better. What legacy are you leaving? A legacy of talent? A legacy of accomplishments? Or a legacy of light that people won't abandon? They said, we're coming to fight and support and protect because we're being led by the example that will lead us through darkness. What about David that was so good? He proved himself as a warrior and a worshiper and a great leader, but there was something about him that people trusted. In Acts one twenty two, it says, but God removed Saul, replaced him with David, a man whom God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, and this is what they trusted. He will do everything I want him to do. When it came down to it, you know why they saw him as light? It wasn't because he was just a great warrior or a great shepherd or a great this and a great that. He said, That man will do whatever God says. He left his kingdom, went into wilderness that almost killed him the first time, and he got the kingdom back. He let his son take the position of king in rebellion because God said, Go to the wilderness. He's like, that That dude will do whatever God tells him to do. And I wonder what kind of legacy we're leaving. Are we leaving a legacy of, of when people look at you? Do they just see a person who accomplished stuff? Do they see failure? Or do they see someone who just simply does what God tells them to do? And if we would start to do that and embrace that and say, we're just going to become a people that do whatever God tells us to do, we won't have to worry about and and this is a word to the, to the church in general of the Savannah of Savannah, Georgia and beyond. We won't have to worry about clever uh uh tactics to and marketing and advertising because when people see light in the darkness, they run to it. Are we li- living a legacy of a cool look or a good band or are we leaving a legacy of cool graphics? Are we leaving a legacy of look at their vision and, oh, that's a trendy phrase. Welcome home. No church is using that. Like, like, are we leaving a legacy of look at what we've built? Or are we leaving a legacy of what are we raising up? And when people look at Relentless, they don't see a, a clever church that's culturally relevant. They see light that's changing culture, and the culture is becoming relevant to what they're doing with God. You know one thing that I've really been in my spirit the past week? The church tries so hard to be culturally relevant. Can I just be honest? I don't want to be culturally relevant because the culture's screwed up. I want to be kingdom relevant and change a culture. <laughs> Amen? We haven't really announced this yet, so I'm doing it now. We usually start every year with a 21 day fast because that's what we do. Bolly's done, and I got the idea from large, successful churches. But what God spoke to me is, I don't want you to just do something trendy to encourage fasting. I want you to have a culture of fasting. So in 2020, instead of doing a 21-day fast in January, we're going to all fast the second week of every month, five-day fast every month, because it's a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And what prayer and fasting does, There, there, there are things that mustard seed faith can't take care of that fasting will. The scripture, when it talks about prayer and fasting, it says the, the, the faith, the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain, but if you want to cast out these demons right here, you've got to pray and fast. Mustard seed faith is not enough for that. And everyone depends on mustard seed faith. I don't want to build a legacy of people who depend on mustard seed faith. I want to have a legacy of people who have that faith and they're willing to follow through with what Jesus says, here it is. Galatians 6, 2 through 3, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. That's scripture. I, I think let's leave a legacy on Facebook and just put on your post tonight, you are not that important, and see what people do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you can't share a burden, why would people want to participate in that legacy? You know, we're already sharing burdens. We share burdens with the homeless community. We share burdens with the recovery center. We share each other's burdens. When people have need, we come. We're, we're there. I love the fact that this is like one of the only churches left that everything's free. I get tired of having to pay for everything when you go to church. If you tithe, if you sow into the house, everything should be free that the house does. That's just my belief. That's what I'm sticking to. <laughs> So start tithing. But (laughs) where was I going with that? I have no idea. Living a legacy, sharing burdens, sharing burdens. Galatians 6, 7 through 10, uh, skipping a few verses. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. (laughs) Isn't that funny? You will always harvest what you plant. If you plant service, what you think you're going to harvest Maybe you, I've seen so many times on social media people complaining about people not coming to their aid. Well, maybe you're not harvesting aid because you haven't. (laughs) Verse eight, that was weird. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. What is doing good? Serving them. That's the good. Serving them. It's not just blessing. Sometimes the biggest blessing is just serving. And if you plan a life of serving, you'll harvest an army dressed for battle to take the land. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave. I I hope that when people look at me, they don't see necessarily a good communicator. They see a man that will lay down his life to serve your needs. And I know that if I sow that, what will harvest is the same thing in return. Because if I'm about your success, you should be about mine. And that's how the relationship and the unity of the church should be. And the battle can look tough. Let's read verse 16 again. It says, Ishbi ben was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds. He was armed with a new sword. Someone say new sword. And he had cornered David and was about to kill him. What kind of sword? A new sword see, a lot of times we fight old battles, but they come at us with new tactics. And for some reason, when the tactic is new, we get scared and we get nervous because it's not familiar. It's the same battle with a new strategy. It's the same fight with a new weapon. He didn't come with something that David recognized. It's been 50 years. They probably got a little bit nicer in the, in the swords by this time. They have probably developed some stronger weapons. It's a new sword. Same fight, new sword. Ecclesiastes 1, 9-11 says this. History merely repeats itself. All has been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. You know why you need to hold fast to the word? Because nothing you're fighting is something that God has not encountered. Nothing's new that's how limited the enemy is he can't create let me say that's god's job god created god created satan satan has no ability to create the only thing he can do is make you think that a something that looks new is going to harm you that's why he prowls around like a roaring lion Satan is not a lion. He masquerades as one to make you think it's a new scary thing. But it's not. Same old tricks, same old strategies. Verse 10, sometimes people say here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. We get scared of new tactics. How do we remember? We need to look into this word nothing's new think think about the whole impeachment thing David went through that and I don't know what your stance is and frankly I don't care because my bible says every person in leadership is put there by God including the presidents that you don't like that support bad things because we all rally around Trump but when if a president comes next who's pro-abortion, Christians will talk bad about him, but my Bible says every leader. So stop slandering them and start serving them. It doesn't mean you have to come into agreement with what they stand for. You're not serving their beliefs, you're serving the man that is lost. That's what Jesus did. He fed thousands of people that were going to turn their back on him and slay him, but he served them. Yeah, we don't like that, do we? <laughs> Nothing's new. So why do we get surprised and why do we panic? Storms come and people still panic. It's not new. Jesus is like, hey, I mean, you got the authority. That did you see what I did? Like, hey, waves stop. But we don't, we don't, we don't believe in this stuff anymore, and we're not even seeing, seeing the fruit of it because we're not sowing it. Isaiah 54, 17, but in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. None. Not a new one, not an old one, nothing. No no weapon. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. No, No. Don't sing again. No weapon. No weapon. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants. Maybe you're not enjoying the benefits of heaven because you don't look like a citizen. <laughs> Maybe you're not enjoying the benefits of heaven because you don't look like a citizen and a citizen looks like a what? A servant. Their vindication will come from me out of the Lord spoken. I don't care how shiny the sword is. I don't care how tactful the strategy is. When we follow God and serve God, Nothing will succeed. Nothing will prosper. We will win. And if we will start to become those people, light will exude from us. And people will follow it. So after Abishai killed the giant that cornered David, the men gathered. They said, we've got this. Another battle came up. Now this time, remember, David's not in the battle anymore. Because they said, hey, we got this, you're too old, you're too tired, we're going to handle this. Look at what happens in verse 18. It says, after this, there was another battle against the Philistines at Gob. And as they fought, Sabakai from Husha killed Sath, so weird names, another descendant of the giants. During another battle at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jear from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistine gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. I don't know about you, but if I'm fighting some guy with six digits, that's, that's going to disturb me. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother Shimea. Three more giants are killed. Now let me remind you of something going back to week two of this series about 40 weeks ago. Just in case you missed it. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17 starting in verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was nine feet tall, or over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, his bronze coat of, whale, of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of the spear, and here it is, was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. The exact same beam that this new guy was holding. Tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a what? A taunt. What were these Goliaths, uh, uh, giants doing? They were taunting Israel. Goliath shouted a taunt. Why are you coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion. You are the only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down and fight me. If he kills me, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight. And not one Israelite soldier stood up. What did we just read in Ecclesiastes? Nothing is new under the sun. History repeats itself. It's the exact same circumstances before. A war with Philistines, a giant taunting with big weapons, taunting people who's going to come out before no one would fight. But this time, three men took down giants the same family of giants, the same descriptions of weapons, the same tactics of taunting, and 50 years later, they were no longer scared. They were willing to fight giants. Why weren't they scared? Nothing's new under the sun. They have seen what David's done. When David was at the end of his life and tired, the legacy that he left is he started with an army who was scared of giants, and he left with an army that killed them all off at the mere taunt coming from their mouths. I wonder if we leave a legacy of people who are depending on something or leaving a legacy of people that says, we now know how to fight. We're not scared of battles anymore. We're not scared of this and this and this and that. We're going to fight. We're going to take it down because we are coming into a legacy of champions in the faith. (laughs) They were following a legacy of light fear was replaced with confidence the fruit of confidence was produced by the seed of one servant a shepherd boy who stood up 50 years ago and said I'll take on that giant and after 50 years of a crazy life all those men that says we got you they said yeah we know (laughs) we're not scared anymore we got this hmm and three men were recognized in leading this fight of the giants. You've got Sibakai, elahan and Jonathan. Because in true legacy, God will continue to raise up leaders when previous leaders are too weak to continue. They're raised up out of a legacy that we leave. And I am committed for the rest of my life And I mean this. And and I read a scripture earlier today to the recovery center about how don't make a promise because it's better for you not to make a promise than than make a promise that you don't keep. (laughs) For the rest of my life, I've committed to God that when I pass one day, which will be like 70 or 80 years from now, (laughs) that the legacy that I left is that by the time I'm gone, everyone I've had contact with is better than I am and can defend their faith, and they can teach people what it is about the kingdom. And when people say, what does it mean that Jesus was the door? You don't have to read a, a book or listen to a sermon. We, we will have left the legacy of people who are leaders and beacons of light in this community but the key is that these leaders have to be raised out of a legacy that we leave. What kind of legacy are you leaving in your house? We all want what's better for our kids, but why don't we commit to making sure that the legacy we leave them is something we want to be, them to be an example of? I mean, look at Genesis one God said, let the, land, let the land sprout with vegetation Every sort of seed, be, uh, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will produce the kinds of plants and trees that came from. That's what happened. A seed will produce after its own kind. Your kids will become what they see, whether you like it or not. And just being real, when I'm 70, I don't want to be counseling your kids because of your problems. (laughs) And I say that in a humorous way, but I'm not leaving your side. I'm going to support you. I'm going to defend you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can. But can we be a people that leave a legacy in our workplaces, in our families, in our churches? That what we sow, that's what we're going to see. You know, the vision for this church is, you know, we we invest a lot more into our kids now than we have ever. And it's not because we're trying to get families to come. That's a fruit of it. Families are coming, so I think we have a great kids program, and it's getting better. But the reason we're sowing more into the kids It's because when they get to the age of 15 or 16 and 17, I'm not teaching youth what salvation is. I'm training Davids. So that when they get to college, they're not going to go through the stuff that we all went through as rebellious college people. Because if you can teach kids how to fall in love with Jesus, they have no need to rebel. That, that's our goal for this church. I want to see a day where our, our altar prayer team are filled with 16 year olds who can pray better than 65 year olds. That's my goal. My goal is one day seeing a 17 year- old student preach and make me look stupid. <laughs> is anybody with me on this? We got, leaving a legacy. You know what David left? A people prepared prepared for victory. And his triumphs were not just for him. They weren't for him at all. They were an example for the future leaders. Because 50 years earlier, no one was stood up to stand up to a giant. But now you got a whole army looking at a giant and goes, six fingers, six toes, heavy spear. Yeah, we got this. And what's interesting in the last verse. Second Samuel twenty one verse twenty two. It says these four Philistines were descendants from, for the giants of the giants of Gath. But David and his warriors killed them. What's interesting here is that David wasn't there, but he got credit for it. Because the reason they won was because of his example, his influence and his guidance. Because when it came down to it, they said, we are not leaving that lamp. And when you lead by example and influence and guidance under the leading of Jesus, in John fifteen eight it says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. True disciples produce fruit. And fruit is not, look at my accomplishments. Look at what I have done. It's the legacy you leave. David was great because of what he left. He set up a great kingdom for for his son, Solomon, to take. You look at Jesus and the disciples. What was great about them? They were martyrs. They accomplished more by the churches they built than the miracles they performed. I mean, think about it. You've got, like, verses throughout the Bible in the New Testament that talk about the miracles of the disciples. But more of what you hear is the church of Acts that they built. The Acts of the Apostles, the church that was built all through that book they they left a legacy. They sought God to such a degree that when people came in with selfish motives, they dropped down dead. That's that's a pretty cool legacy. That's my prayer for the relentless. No. <laughs> no, actually it is. Because I want people to walk into such unity that everything that is <laughs> everything that is opposite of God Cannot survive in this setting because it's not just people gathering; it's people gathering, it's people unified. Wouldn't it be great to to see a day where an addiction can't last anymore, and like twelve step programs become something of old, because you walk into unity, and it just drops because it can't breathe anymore. I mean, what 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 what, what if what if we could build such a unified body and leave a legacy that believers would start to say how did you do that and we just said we fell in love with each other because we fell in love with God not we we got great we got amen it's 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 not it's not that we got great musicians and even had a great preacher it's not anything we got that was great it was just we followed the light of the world. And he says, serve each other and bind together and love one another. And we did it. And our kids grew up no longer, they didn't resent church because of the, the bickering of deacons. <laughs> they didn't leave church because they saw people go in need and the church didn't do anything. They didn't leave church because they saw the backbiting and the and and the back pushing. Our kids grow up following in love with what the legacy that we're leaving and what we're becoming. The Great Commission, go and make disciples. Those who follow me, that's the legacy we've got to leave. David said in Psalm 73 26 My flesh and my heart may fail. They will fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And he may have been physically tired and his soul may have been drained. But God was always at the center of his being. And he left the legacy that defeated giants. Let's become a church that produces leaders by leading. Produces servants by serving. Produces light bearers by bearing light. Produces warring by warring against what God has called us to war against and not, and, and not just stand back and, and pray that something happens. Let's produce victors by walking in victory. Let's become a church that leaves a legacy.